From the Omaha World Herald and the 2022 Nebraska Sports Writer of the Year, an honor he shares with his fellow Omaha World Herald reporter, Stu Pospisil. Evan Bland joins us. Evan, congratulations and thanks for spending some time with us. Yeah, John, thanks for having me. All right, so when you get a call and they say, you're the guy that the people in this state believe was the best sports writer in Nebraska in 2022, how do you react to that? Yeah, I got a call from a, a North Carolina number and it was a surprise. I remember, I think it was last fall, they put out a list of finalists and then they gave me a call and I, you know, my first reaction is like, did you mean to call me? Seriously? I mean, and, and I, I don't say that in sort of like this sense of false modesty, but I think about even just the staff at the World Herald and how incredibly talented is Sam McEwen, Dirk Chatlin, Tom Chattel, Stu Pospisil, you can go down the line. Um, it's it's so so many talented guys, so many good people. And I think it also reminded me of just the legacy of the paper that you don't really have with a lot of other outlets right now. I mean, I grew up reading, you know, Rich Kypist and Steve Pivovar and, <clears throat> excuse me, Mitch Sherman, John Neatawa, um, the list kind of, Lee Barfneck, the list goes on and on for me. So like to be included in a group like that was, was truthfully humbling because in my mind, I'm still kind of the, the young guy uh, reading them and, and wanting to get into the biz. So it was it was a really cool deal. Um, you know, I, I like to joke about it and say that they must have run out of people to give it to. But um, no, I mean, it, it was a it was a cool thing. I think it's it's even more special because it's an award voted on by your peers. So if if game recognizes game, so to speak, then I think that's a, a pretty neat deal. So yeah. um, happy to, I guess, have that tip of the cap. But, um, you know, it, it reminded me of this saying that I heard recently that said, uh, a man who loves to walk is going to walk farther than a man who loves the destination. And I think that was sort of a reminder to me that, like, I don't ever do it thinking about an award or about recognition for myself. I just, I love the stories. I love talking to people. I love learning, trying to, to satisfy curiosity. So uh, it was a cool deal, um, and and I'm ready to keep going. Okay, so now put on your modesty hat for a moment. And you know, some of us, including you, I'm sure, who won awards, you'll say, "Yeah, I didn't, I didn't do it to win awards, but that was pretty good work. Um, that was that was not bad. If <laughs> if I was going to win, that's not bad. Do you feel like you had a a, a good year and a award winning year? And and please share that you know as modestly as you can, please. <laughs> Yeah, no, I do. I mean, we we uh, submit awards every at the end of every year. Uh, we have a couple guys that sort of spearhead that, and they say, "Send us your top five to ten pieces from the year." And this was a year. I mean, yeah, quite honestly, where I felt like I had ten to fifteen pieces that I worked pretty hard on, and and I feel like the thing that that I try to to do that's uh, to separate myself as a writer. Um, is is talking to that extra person, trying to get that extra source, that extra insight. And I think that's probably what was reflected in my work. I mean, I think about uh, a story I did in the spring on uh, one of the baseball pitchers at Nebraska, Shea Shanneman, and uh, just a story about how, how he's married on the team. And that's, it sort of started out as, as the idea was going to be, hey, you know, he's married, what's that like? How is that different from other people? And the more I uh, dove into it, it, it became apparent that the reason he and his fiance Mimi got married was because her father uh, had a terminal illness and they wanted to be sure that he walked her down the aisle before he passed away. And it turns out that they were able to do that. And, and a few months later, he actually did pass away. And so it turned into a really uh, powerful piece. Um, I think that's part of the... <sighs> You know, maybe the thrill is not the right word, but it, it's just part of why I think it's meaningful is you start with sort of an idea and, and you the more you talk to people, maybe sometimes that idea changes or evolves into something else. So that was a piece that stood out. Uh, I, I did a piece on Max Duggan, who was the, uh, you know, from Council Bluffs, where, where I used to write, uh, was a Heisman finalist at TCU. So I was able to go back and talk to some of his old high school buddies who still go out to see him in games and an old high school coach who was befuddled for years by his abilities and, uh, you know, hear, hear a lot of anecdotes in that way. Um, felt like covering the College World Series this year, we had some good pieces. I was able to talk to a lot of guys about name image likeness and how that has sort of bled over into college baseball. It's not what you would think of uh, for what it is in college football and basketball, but it's it's sort of getting there a little bit. So 
uh, just, you know, a lot of different stories from, from issues to profiles to different things uh, that popped up. And, and it was, I think, one of my favorite things about working at the World Herald is they sort of allow you to, to work on a piece. We don't have, uh, you know, article quotas for every week. We don't have to say, you know, you got to hit six or seven a week or, or whatever a month. They say, you know, bring us some good stories. And if you need some time to do it, go ahead and do that. And so I feel like that was, you know, another uh, important sort of factor in how I was able to uh, put together some stories I was pretty proud of. What drives you then? I mean, we all know that if you get four or five people to talk to you, that's great, but you want five or six or seven. What drives you? Where does that sort of commitment come from? Uh, you know, it's just, I guess, a curiosity of of people. I mean, if, if I'm doing a profile on somebody, yeah, I could talk to the subject and maybe one other person and call it good. And sometimes that's just kind of what you have to do. That's the nature of it at times. But if it's a really interesting piece, man, I want to dig deep. I want to talk to that person that nobody else is talking to, maybe who knows them, who has different insights. Uh, you know, I always feel like if I'm sitting down to write whatever it is and, I, and I'm struggling to do it or I'm struggling to add length, then usually that means I haven't reported it well enough, whether that means talking to enough people or researched enough or have enough context for whatever it is that I'm writing about. And so, you know, I almost think about it like, uh, you know, like a filmmaker where you want to have so many good shots that you're going to leave some good stuff on the cutting room floor. Uh, that's kind of where I want to be is, is if I'm writing a story and and there are a couple of good nuggets that just didn't make it in. I feel like that's going to be a lot more rewarding than trying to stretch some things out and trying to hit 600 words or a thousand words or whatever and go that route. So I think that's part of it. And, and, you know, honestly, some of it is uh source building too. Like everybody's going to talk to a player or a coach, but if you can talk to a parent, if you can talk to a friend, those are people that you don't hear their voices really ever. And so it's it's powerful for the story in the moment, and quite often, uh, I'm able to to even circle back at future dates with some of these people, or they can uh, connect me with other people, and it's just sort of a way of, of broadening my knowledge base, broadening um, the voices that end up in the story. So I think it's always worth it to me to to try to do it. It doesn't always work out, uh, but when it does, it's always rewarding. When did you first come up with the notion, or did it appear to you that you wanted to be uh a reporter, a journalist, a, a newspaper man? Well, my story for that began when I was in college. So I went to Nebraska. I was a, a 2008 grad at UNL. And when I was a freshman there in 2004, the first thing I wanted to do was get into sports broadcasting. And at the time at UNL, they would not allow freshmen to do that. And you, know, you can think about how much things have changed since 2004 with with various uh, streaming options. And so there are so many more opportunities, I think, for students now. But at the time, they said you had to work up toward those broadcasting aspirations. And I had a, a student advisor by the name of Jenna Johnson, who's who's gone on to some big stuff at the Washington Post and elsewhere, who was uh, a couple years ahead of me, who said, you know, you can go write for the Daily Nebraskan and they'll pay you to do it. And I said, they'll give me money to write about sports. I mean, I, at the time I would have paid them money to have the opportunity to do it. And so yeah. that was sort of the beginning of the end for me was jumping down there. And uh, I think I, you know, wrote a, a recruiting story in the, in the spring of 2004, maybe uh, it was bad. It was like a, a 200 word first graph. And I mean, it was just, you know, you look back, but like, it was a great place to, to meet other guys who were uh, aspiring to do the same and to try things and to fail and to go that way. And so uh, sort of working my way uh, through the various beats out there was just a ton of fun. And uh, that was when I knew, like, I, I, you know, I'm not going to get rich doing this, but I love doing it. It rarely feels like work. Uh, you know, I, I get a charge out of it when you write a good story. I think there's a certain thrill that comes from that, a certain high almost that is hard to to replicate elsewhere for me. So, um, yeah, I haven't looked back since then, and, and it's been a ton of fun. 
So you don't know what the business was like before you started in 2009, but you certainly know what's happened in the business since 2009 and how rapidly the business has changed during that time. How have you been able to navigate the challenges in that respect with uh, resources and um, challenger uh, competition, all of those kinds of things? Yeah, that's, that's, it's really interesting how much it's changed. Um, you know, I feel like in a lot of ways, I, I sort of got on right at the end of kind of the, 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 the era when you had a chance to do well, and you had a lot of resources. And, and I guess what I mean is, you know, I graduated in 2008, that was right before the advent of social media really, really began. And so having a chance to just write at the at the Daily Nebraska and at the college level and not have to worry about building a brand or building, you know, Twitter followers or whatever was really valuable. And then I spent uh eight years in Council Bluffs covering high school sports after that. And it was sort of a a, a low pressure place to try a bunch of different things. I mean, Twitter came out when I when I started there in 2009, myself and the other writers would text each other updates of the high school football games that we were at. You know, how's your game going? Good. How's your game going? And then that that naturally evolved within a couple of years to tweeting that stuff out. And you know, we experimented with like Facebook uh, live posts, and that didn't that didn't evolve or, or, or turn into anything. Um, so we we had a lot of chances to just experiment with with various things. But there's no doubt. I mean, I think about the resources that the World Herald had in 2009, the staff that it had. Uh, you know, it, it, people traveled all the time. My, my boss, Sam McEwen, likes to refer to it as it used to be sort of a Cadillac operation where, uh, you know, you did everyone, there were a ton of resources, um, a, a ton of, of, of people, a ton of staff. And that's, that's changed, unfortunately, with the, um, just the climate of the industry. I think we really started feeling it in Omaha in 2017, 2018, uh, when there were some layoffs and cuts and, and those things sort of remain ongoing, uh, you know, from a Nebraska perspective, it's interesting because I can think back to, again, my daily Nebraskan days in 05 and 06 and how different it was covering those beats then uh, from from what it is now. At the time, you know, you could go to a, a basketball game, say a men's basketball game, and it would be the Journal Star, it'd be the World Herald, it would be a handful of television stations and, and us and the DN, and that was essentially it. And now you go to any major Nebraska athletic event, and you've got three different recruiting websites, you have a magazine, you have, uh, you know, still the newspapers, more television, you have some radio folks that show up. So I think in a lot of ways, it's, it's more challenging to sort of separate yourself to, to, to have a, a unique voice in a media market that's as saturated as Nebraska's is. And there are a lot of really talented people and good people in the market. But it does make it harder to build relationships with coaches and players when you're one of, you know, again, 15, 20, 30 people at a, at a given interview session. And so you have to be creative with it. I think that's sort of the, the challenge that I've tried to embrace is the basic news of the day is going to come out and you can read it in a lot of different places, but the depth, I, I, I want to have a little more depth. I, I want to have it something well-written where people can enjoy sort of the story of, of whatever that moment is as much as uh, what the actual news is. So it's definitely a challenge, it's change, um, but I think with that, there are still you know, a lot of opportunities and avenues uh, for people to do good work. Evan Bland is a sports writer covering the Huskers football team and baseball team for the Omaha World Herald and the 2022 National Sports Media Association Sports Writer of the Year for the state of Nebraska. He's with us on Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. So those challenges continue to be great for you. <clears throat> you want people to read the newspaper. You want them to buy digital. You want them to, now you, you want them to help you keep your work, right? So are you, you concerned that the business is exploding, being disrupted so rapidly that that we're no longer going to need newspapers. I hate to be so blunt about it, but um, the newspaper is not a dinosaur, but some people think I don't, but some people think, are you concerned about that? Well, there's no doubt that it's changing. I think what I, my takeaway from how 
the climate has evolved in the last handful of years is that the thirst for news and good work is as high as ever. It's just a matter of how do you how do you monetize that? How do you um, you know how, how do people consume that? Because certainly there's there's no question that print is on the decline, and you don't you can't walk around the student union the way that you could in 2008 and see people reading newspapers. Everybody's on their phones um, or, or devices or, or laptops or whatever. But, but the interest is absolutely still there. And, you know, we, we have uh, our analytics at the World Herald would tell you that in 2008, uh, our circulation from print was absolutely higher, but the traffic that you get now is from all over the place. We have people that read our stuff all the time from Arizona that, that 15 years ago never would have, uh, California, other countries, people that are Husker fans that have moved on or that, that live elsewhere in the world are able to check in and and read their stuff and so you know in that way it actually expands the audience base but again uh our initial our our original product print has has decreased there's no doubt about that I, i'm sure that's going to continue that way as the years uh you know continue and pass but uh, our mandate remains how can we do good work because people want to find good work and if you want to go to uh, just to Google and, and, and search some stuff on Husker News, you can get the boilerplate stuff for free at a lot of different blog sites and 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 basic uh, outlets. But if you want narratives, if you want context, if you want uh, you know well written, thought out, reported stories, like that's just the way the news industry in general is going. It's going to be worth some sort of a payment. I mean, the Athletic is, has shown that, um, various uh, newspapers have shown that, recruiting websites have shown that, and, and when people um, get used to that coverage, then then we find that they they continue to come back and they want to continue with that. So, yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of uncertainty in the industry. Uh, from for, as far as I'm concerned, all I can do is continue to put out good work and 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 put that work out there and hope people enjoy it. Uh, and if they do, then, then, you know, that's pretty much where it ends for me. And and if they don't, then, <laughs> and then I'm probably in the wrong line of work and that'll take care of itself here uh, at some point in the future anyway. But, uh, you know, I, I still enjoy it. I think there's still really a thirst for it. If Nebraska ever starts winning again, uh, and, and maybe that could be coming soon with this new coaching staff. Uh, I think that that's always helpful too, as people um, sort of have that passion reignited and, and, and that excitement and things like that. So yeah, ultimately big picture, there's still a lot in flux, um, but I think there are a lot of opportunities also if we're doing good work. I'm going to ask you about that new coach and covering the Husker football team in, in just a minute, but uh, the, the two major newspapers in Nebraska are now owned by the same company, Lee Enterprises, which bought the World Herald. They own the Lincoln Journal Star. I see your byline in both newspapers. I see your associates byline in both newspapers. Um, I don't know that you know this, but I would guess at some point there'll be one major newspaper and you'll decide which is a Lincoln version and which is an Omaha version, and which is an outstate version. But the question I have for you, Evan, is how has that changed your work or your workload or the way you approach your job when essentially your major newspaper competition is now your partner? Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and that's something that we uh, really started to see play out in the dailies last summer. So it's still fairly new to us. And they had a lot of at the Journal Star, they had a lot of personnel turnover in the last year. Their sports editor, uh, many of their top writers moved on to different opportunities, and so we sort of, uh, I guess, it, it, the time was right for that to to merge at that time. And yeah, it is it is different. I mean, two years ago, I was competing with Parker Gabriel for all the stuff, and we would we would duplicate recruiting stories and we duplicate uh, you know press conference recaps and things like that. And now it is it's more of a of a collaboration. And quite honestly, it's something that could have probably happened years earlier, like you mentioned, being under the umbrella of Lee Enterprises, where at some point, somebody at the corporate level says, why are we paying, you know, to, to double things up here? How does that make a lot of sense? And and I get it, like from from a perspective of, of readers who have who have been in the area for for years, I think it's it's disappointing because there were a lot of good work that were generated by both papers over the years. And I think that both papers made each other better. 
in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, you talk about the the evolution of the industry, and this is just, I think, part of that step is if, again, if you're into the same ownership group and you have a pool of resources, in a lot of ways, it does make sense to uh, to be more efficient with those and to go different directions. And so, yeah, we it, it's it's sort of a uh, unique operation where we at the World Herald uh, collaborate with our colleagues at the Journal Star. Uh, we're not necessarily owned by, uh, we, we're not under the same um, umbrella in, in terms of, of bosses and sports editors and things like that, but uh, there's there's a collaboration that occurs, I think, an understanding that this is the direction that we're going. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just sort of the, the reality of it. I would say that my workload probably has decreased a little bit in this new setup where I don't have to do every single recruiting update. You know, we have other uh, people at the Journal Star that can also do some of that. And I don't have to fill as many days necessarily because uh, folks on the other end have some have some stories over there too. So from a personal perspective, it probably has has freed me up to do a little bit more long form type stuff. Um, but from the perspective of the reader, I can absolutely see why it would be disappointing because I, I do think uh, the more voices you have out there, the more competition there is, the better the work's generally going to be. Yeah, on a very personal aside, um, I am a consumer of both newspapers, and I'm frankly trying to determine um, why am I buying both newspapers if I'm getting some of the same stuff in them both, and whether or not your bosses are listening to this, I don't know, but I'm sure they hear about this occasionally, and I'm not asking you to respond to that, but that that's a fact. The the competition part of it is interesting, and and we I, I'm much older than you are, and I was in the business for a very long time, and I know that competition helps drive quality. And you mentioned that you referred to that, that that looking down the street, the other guys are doing great work. I better keep doing great work. Where do you then find that competitive nature? Where do you find that competitive edge when the two major newspapers again are 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 partners are not as competitive as they once were and we know historically they were very competitive well i mean again i would say it was it's it's in the proliferation of other outlets so yeah just because the journal star and the world herald are are pooling resources doesn't mean we're stretching out alone in the press box at this point i mean there are still many recruiting websites out there uh that that, that fans want to know about uh you know the, the goings on there and we're at a at an inherent disadvantage against those folks because they're part of networks and they are able to tap into their sources at other schools uh, that, that cover those other teams. And so, you know, our approach there has to be different than theirs. Maybe we're not going to get every single little tidbit uh, at the moment that they do because of that, of those networks, but we can, again, offer more uh, color, more, more narrative, more context. I think then a lot of those folks can do, um, so I think that's where you start. It, it, it is interesting because from a newspaper perspective, those were the the people that we were direct competitors with. I, I felt like the recruiting sites, yes, to a certain point, but their, their mission's a little bit different than newspapers. Uh, from a television and radio side, what they do is a lot different than what we're trying to do on the newspaper side. So I think at some point too, it, it becomes, you have to have that inner drive. And, and you talk about that in sports and other areas of life all the time. Like, are you a self-starter? Are you someone who's going to hold yourself to a higher standard? And, you know, honestly, I still look at our staff as, as much as in general, uh, including the news side, it's shrunk in the last handful of years. But, you know, I, I look at what Sam McEwen continues to put out, Dirk Chatlin and Tom Chattel. And, and, you know, for me as a competitor, I want to be a good teammate. I want to make sure that when when it's my turn i'm not dropping the baton on those days that there's not a a drop in in quality uh or or whatever where people uh you know don't read my stuff and they're like oh okay well sam didn't write this or dirk you know whatever i'm gonna skim this and move on so i think that's where some of it comes from still for me is is like man i'm, I'm part of a staff that's really talented that's been doing this for a long time um i, I do feel like i'm a, a self-starter like again there's not a lot of accountability necessarily for me to, um, if I wanted to stop at a two source story, I could do that. And I probably wouldn't get a lot of pushback, um, but to go three or four to have a better story. And then, I mean, quite honestly, I, we don't get a ton of, of feedback from readers. That's just sort of the nature of, 
of the of the business, I think. But when you do get compliments uh, or, or feedback from things, I think that's meaningful because these you know Nebraska fans are really passionate. There's no doubt about it. They're one of the top fan bases in the country, and they want to be close to their teams. They want to know more about their teams. And if if I can help to do that by providing quality work, to me, that gets me charged up. That makes me want to go that extra mile, go that extra interview. So I want to switch gears a little bit here and talk a little bit about covering Scott Frost, if that's okay with you. Um, sure. What were the great challenges of of covering frost from the very beginning when this great celebratory grand entrance the prodigal son returns to the ignominious uh, close um what were the great challenges of covering those four plus years well you know it, it was interesting because you know at the end of the 2017 season i went down to atlanta where Scott Frost and, and UCF were playing in the Peach Bowl. And it was it, it was fascinating to me because the people that covered him down there said, man, he's he's great. He's open. He's uh, insightful. And we didn't get a lot of that at Nebraska over the over the the ensuing five years. And the more that I'd kind of, I guess, been around Scott and, and come to know things like you could just you could tell when, when he was down there in Orlando, there was a very small media contingent. He was away from home. He could sort of be himself, do his thing. And when he came back to Nebraska, it was it was tough. It was it was someone who had been burned there as a player, at least in his mind, when he was booed uh, and, and and taken out, uh, you know, as as a as a player late in his career there. Um, you know, the one thing I'll never forget from his opening press conference at Nebraska was he gets done up front. And he comes uh, around the back. Uh, this is the third floor of Memorial Stadium. And he he does just a little breakout session with some local media. And the first thing that he says is, don't don't talk to his parents. Don't talk to mom and dad. He says, if you, if you talk to these guys, I'm going to lose it on you. And, and I'm probably not going to talk. And like, that's what well, <laughs> that was. That was sort of his intro back to Nebraska media. And, and I think it was just reflective of the fact that there was definitely some baggage there, some preconceived notions there. And over the course of the next five years, uh, I, I just didn't get the sense that there was a lot of joy in what he did. Like it, it felt like he was, he was fulfilling a, a, a calling, maybe uh, fulfilling a responsibility that it was, uh, you know, burdensome in a lot of ways. And so I just, it, there, there wasn't a lot of times where I, I could look at, at his interviews or his, even his practices or his games and think, man, this is a guy who's having fun. It just didn't seem like it played out that way. And, and, and certainly there's uh, been a lot of rumors and things behind the scenes that you hear. And, and I, I think a lot of it's not true, uh, especially as it relates to his personal life. But, um, you know, when you're quiet, when you're sort of reclusive, unfortunately, the nature of things is people are going to fill those gaps with what they want to fill those, fill those gaps with. And so, uh, I think in five years, I maybe had ugh, two off the record conversations with wow. Scott Frost. Um, and he just, it just wasn't what he was about. He didn't want to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's going to be a lot different under Matt Rule already just in, the, in a few weeks. It's, it's kind of jarring how different that it's been. Um, but I, it just, it wasn't the most joyous of times. I, I don't think for him or a lot of folks in the media, certainly not winning had a lot to do with that, but you know, you, you wish him well at his next stop. And, and it does feel like some of that um, enthusiasm maybe is coming back into the program now with a new regime. So when did you think first think that maybe this Scott Frost thing is not going to work out? Um, and I, I should preface that with, we saw signs of problems of co game management, time management, uh, preparation, those kinds of things, even in the first year, do you know kind of when you thought maybe first of all this thing might not work out? I think for me it would have been the second half of 2019. I mean the 2018 season they had such a slow start. I think 0 and 6 to start, and the, but there were some signs there toward the end. The way that they hung with Iowa, um, you you just kind of felt like maybe things were were getting ready to take off that Ohio State game that they nearly won out there in Columbus was a big surprise. 
but you could excuse a lot of that by saying, okay, maybe there wasn't a lot in the cover. They have to uh, develop strength and conditioning. They need to bring in some more frost guys. And you went into 2019 and they were preseason top 25. Adrian Martinez was getting a little, a little attention as a dark horse Heisman candidate. And, you know, it just, it never, it never translated. And I think that was the year when you started to see the big 10 adjusting back to Nebraska and, and the way that Nebraska, especially on offense operated was so different from what other big 10 schools did uh, that, you know, if you had a three and out that took you a minute and then your defense was on the field for the next six minutes or seven minutes because they're running it. We saw that formula play out so many times. They put their defense in harm's way. It just became a situation where it just, it wasn't the right formula to win in that league and it didn't change. And, you know, I, I think in talking with some of the assistants in the years since they would tell you that they underestimated what the big 10 was all about. They maybe didn't have a firm grasp of the kind of player and the kind of system they wanted to put together at Nebraska. And by the time you got into 2021 and 2022, I mean, it was just, it was too late at that point. Um, this last season, obviously it was a mishmash of different assistants that they brought in and, and it's sort of a, a Hail Mary attempt, but I think, you know, ultimately it was a, a it was an example of a, of a group that had a vision. They stuck to it probably to a fault. And, uh, you know, in, in a league as, as flush with good coaches as the big 10, it ended up burying them. Is that something that you could have written in 2019 or did write in 2019? Or how would you approach that if you as a reporter are watching this sort of disconnect between practice and games and, and what's happening. How do you as a journalist then approach that knowing that the fans are still crazily behind this guy they think is going to save this program? Yeah. I mean, it, it's hard because, you know, part of, part of the thing that, that I always sort of used as reasoning for why there deserved to be more patience was how much college athletics had changed. I mean, between the time that Scott Frost was hired at the end of 2017 and the time that he was fired in September, think about the major changes in college athletics from, uh, you know, the advent of name image likeness to the transfer portal, to uh, the early signing period, to the red shirt rule that allows you to play in up to four games. Like, it's it was a major overhaul of things and you throw in the pandemic and of course everyone had to deal with that too but like this was not a conventional case of like coach comes in coach can't figure it out in five years and coach moves on like there were all those changes there was this idea of being back at his alma mater and he clearly felt uh pressure to to do something there so it was such a nuanced conversation in so many ways that I just, you know, I didn't think you could point to one thing and say, this is the thing that needs to change. Um, you know, and, and again, um, you know, Matt rule can come in here and, and maybe has a different vision and things could look a lot differently. But I, in that moment, I just felt like, okay, it's going to take some time to adjust. You're going to have to adapt to this and that. Um, and you just don't know, you don't know how the seasons are going to go. You look at 2021, they go three and nine, all, but every possession by single digits or every game by single digits. Um, what happens if they make a bowl game? What happens if they win seven games that year? How differently do things go? So in a lot of ways, it just felt like they never caught that break additionally. And, you know, we would ask Scott about it uh, in games and post games about why they did this or why they did that. Uh, Ultimately, you have to let it play out, though, and and in the end, uh, you know, I think that extra year was probably a, a good thing for the fan base and the university because it did make clear that it was time. I think if you would have let him go at the end of the 2021 season, there still would have been a lot of people that would have said, but they were so close in all those losses. Um, and, and that became evident in 2022 that that a change was going to have to come. Should we pay attention to what the fandom um, thinks and what the the consumers think uh, as journalists, is that important to us? Is that part of the equation? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I check out message boards every now and again, because I want to know what people are interested in. I mean, I know what I'm interested in and I know what I want to learn more about, but it doesn't mean that, that that's the end all be all. If somebody else has uh, 
you know, a curiosity about something that I can pursue, then I'll do that. If there's a, if they have a curiosity about something that I already have pursued, then it's like, well, maybe I didn't do a great job of, of putting that out there and describing that. So, yeah, I think there's, I mean, that's, that's part of my approach at least is, is, is sort of checking in on what resonates with people. And, you know, we get regular at the world herald we get regular uh reports about what our most read stories are and what the most read stories of our colleagues are so there's sort of a balance of like this is something we need to report on because it's important but there's also a sensitivity to this is something that people want to read about and something that that interests them and clearly they they'll read this thing over here so you know for example i think uh the the transfer portal is something like if you (laughs) Anything you write about the transfer portal as it relates to Nebraska, people are going to eat that stuff up. It's just they're they're very fascinated by kind of the novelty of it and the possibility of it. And and so, yeah, I think there's a lot that goes into that. Um, you know, we, we try to mix as much as I like long form pieces and, and in-depth profiles. Sometimes there are points in the year where, you know, uh, a top five list is, is appropriate. And that's something that's easy for people to digest and, you know, top five uh, you know, um, positions in question for spring or something like that. People like that stuff too. So I do, I think there's a blend there, but, um, to, to think as a journalist that I have it all figured out and that my narrative is, is the one that, that needs to be stuck to, I think is probably, uh, you know, a little egocentric if I went that route. I have to tell you my personal bias on that is that recruiting and portal uh, bores me to tears. I know I must be way out in the um, nether reaches of um, of that because uh, you say that the fans want that. But for me, it's um, uh, show up in August and let's see what they do. And then I'll, and then I'll start judging. I'll start evaluating uh, what the team does. Evan Bland is the 2022 sports writer of the year at the, in the state of Nebraska or covers football and baseball for the Omaha world Herald. And he was about to say something and I cut him off. What were you going to say? Oh, no, all I was going to say is I think that's another good point is that we, that's another sort of balance that we have to walk is between the diehard fan and the casual fan, you know, because I think a lot of people watch the games during the season. Um, not as many people maybe care about practice reports and portal goings on and whatever else. And so I, I do think that's another challenge where, uh, you know, sometimes as someone who covers the team, I can get so far in the weeds with things that I need to zoom out and say, okay, what's let's look at a big picture thing here. Someone who's maybe reading their second Husker story this month can sort of catch up on what's going on. I do. I, I just think that's another important point is that there is this mix of diehard fans, casual fans, and, and we need to create content that, uh, you know, both people want to read. One more quick question about uh, covering football. And and you talked about Matt rule and how much it's changed. And I agree with you about the, the joylessness of frost. I felt that from almost the very beginning. And I saw frankly, more joy in the job that Matt rule exuded in the first minute or two of his press conference than I ever felt in all of the time with, um, with frost. The question I have for you, Evan, is this is how does that, um, that relationship impact your work? If the coach and the sources are more interested in talking to you and they're more open and they, they're, they're more willing to share of them selves. Um, how does that impact the work you do then? Hmm. You know, it's, it is, it's a, it's a fine line sometimes. And, you know, there are, there are instances where we'll get tips or tidbits or things that, that are off the record. And, you know, we, we have to make that decision as to, is that something that, that we're okay with this being off the record, or do we need to get another source to, to corroborate something? Um, you know, there's a, there's a constant balance of how, how can I serve this particular story in this moment well, while also respecting the sources and building a long-term relationship where we can have an ongoing continual dialogue. You know, I, I think <clears throat> even for us at the at the World Herald, we have sort of a balance where beat writers like myself uh, tend to do more of the interaction maybe with some of the coaches or behind the scenes staffers. Whereas if you were a, 
a columnist or a commentator of some kind, the, the, the more ideal approach would be to start, sort of take a step back so you can, you know, you can hit heavy if you need to hit heavy because you don't necessarily have those relationships. So it's maybe, you know, a little bit of sort of a good cop, bad cop sort of situation. But I also think that there's an understanding on their end that we're trying to do a job. You know, I'm not I'm not communicating with them for my own fun. Like we're doing it to serve the fans. And, and I think they understand that the fans uh, have an interest in what's going on as well. So um, I just think there's that you have to be professional about it. Like you can't get too personal with things um, one way or the other. But I think the other, the, maybe the most important part about having those sources is it does, it just informs you and it removes a lot of speculation. I mean, you think about some of the the rumors that we spoke about with with Scott Frost, um, you know, behind the scenes, some of the different things that happened in the program in the last five years. If you don't, if you're not hearing from anybody in the in the program, you kind of have to try to draw some conclusions on your own. And and so, even if we can't report on direct things that maybe Matt Rule or his staff tells us, uh, it does inform the way that we write things. It informs the stories that we do right. And so I think, you know, again, you talk about recognizing good work. I think if you're, if you're a coach today too, I mean, most coaches follow at least to some degree, the media coverage of their programs and, and they'll know, they'll know if you're, if you're doing them dirty or if, if you're, you know, honoring what they tell you and, and at least painting an accurate picture portrayal of what's going on. So it doesn't mean that we're going to be best friends all the time. It doesn't mean we're going to praise every single thing that they do. But it does create this this working relationship where we can understand where each other is coming from, uh, and hopefully the work will reflect that greater understanding. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that if if the sources give a little bit and you understand better, then the you are better informed, and then the audience is better informed. This isn't about me, but I'll tell you a quick little anecdote or a little bit. Uh, yeah. Of, of where I come from there. I, I covered Steve Mariucci when he was a coach of the 49ers for a long time. He would occasionally call everybody into his office, the regulars into his office, turn off the microphones, put down the pen and the paper, and just have a couple of slices of pizza and a soda and talk about the team. I know Bill Parcells used to do that in New York occasionally, where you just put all the stuff away and he talked about the team. I really believe that the professionals know where to draw that line and you and on Saturdays or Sundays, you show up with a much clearer picture of what you have to report on, and then you're fairer and um, a better interpreter of what happens. So I think the closed door kind of attitude by the source only hurts the source, in my view, because you really don't get a view that you can share with the audience. So when it does go south, when it does get ugly, it gets even uglier, I think. Anyway, that's the way I look at it. I don't know that you need to respond to that, but that's the way I look at it. Well, no, I'll just say real quick, I, I think that's sort of what we might be getting with Matt Rule. I think there has been sort of a an early indication, and it's hard to say to this point because they've been out recruiting and haven't really been around much, but I think there is a willingness to, to do that sort of thing, to meet occasionally. And you can't meet with 30-some members of the media in a, in a casual setting, so it might be a you know just a handful of people, but you know, you think back to just previous Nebraska coaches, Scott Frost was not that way. Mike Riley, uh, for as good a guy and as open as he was there, you know, it was almost too much that way in a lot of, in a lot of ways, Bo was not really that way, Bo Pelini. Um, and then, you know, I covered Bill Callahan when I was in college and he was, uh, similar to Frost in the sense that he, you know, tried to kind of keep a hands, hands off, uh, arm's length sort of approach to things. So, I mean, quite honestly, it's probably setting up to be a situation for the first time since maybe Frank Solich. And I didn't cover Frank, but I know uh, some people that did and said that he would, uh, you know, meet and, and sort of inform uh, on a more casual basis as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it's totally different from what we've had in in really modern Nebraska football history. And, and hopefully that uh, is something that readers will be able to tell here moving forward. Yeah, one of the things that's a real contrast to that and then we'll wrap it up here, is uh, Fred Hoiberg. Fred Hoiberg's training as an NBA coach is very clear uh, here. Uh, the NBA, the coaches are, are expected to speak to the media before every game, and that's 82 of them, and after every game, and that's 82 of them. So you can tell <laughs> really what a professional Fred Hoiberg is at dealing with the media 
shares what he wants, but he's professional and he's uh, gracious and he's generous and all of those things. Now the team hasn't been a team that that has gone without criticism and there's been plenty of it, but just in dealing with us, and that's what I'm concerned about. Hoiberg is, is, um, is a, is a creature of his experience. Yeah, totally. And, and I don't have a ton of experience uh, working with Fred, but I do know the, the, the guys that I've worked with that have covered his teams would tell you that. I mean, he does, <clears throat> um, you know, communicate, sort of off to the side after sessions or he'll respond to texts or I know I think it was a year ago even he had sort of a preseason meet and greet with different people who would be covering the team that year so he could put a name to a face and and sort of set some expectations and and things like that too so I, I think guys like that there's an understanding that a lot of times if you put out a narrative people will take that and run with that like I don't think in general media members want to sort of conjure up whatever. Like if the coach says this is the theme of what's going on, like that message is going to be conveyed by a lot of different outlets. And so I think, um, yeah, he, he's been good at that. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the other coaches have been good at that. Amy Williams, the women's basketball coach, is, is good in that way. You know, I work a lot with Will Bolt, the baseball coach, who's very gracious and, and responsive as well. So uh, it definitely can be done, certainly on a smaller st- uh, scale than maybe you see with football. But absolutely, um, you know, if everyone's professional about it, the the final product's going to be a lot better. That's the word right there, professional. I agree with that. One final question here for you, Evan, and that is, I, I understand what the challenges are uh, from the start of football season to the end. It's a seven-day-a-week job, and you travel, and the pressures of getting the work done. I, I think I understand pretty much what the challenges are. What are the great joys of the job? What are the great positives of, of doing this work? Yeah, I mean, going to places that I maybe wouldn't have gone to, talking to people that I wouldn't have talked to. I try before every Nebraska game, usually when the national anthem's going on or or something, to really just kind of take a minute and and take a breath and look around and look at the crowds and look at the pageantry of it and know that, yeah, you know, I'm going to have a lot of work to do here in a little bit. But in this moment, I'm sitting in a spot that uh, a lot of people would love to sit in and you know, I, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get cynical about it. Like you know, a lot of people, when I tell them what I do, they're like, wow, you know, that's really cool. And I'm like, yeah, it is pretty cool. And, you know, but there's this other stuff over here, but I try to keep, try to keep that, that uh, optimism or maybe that, that sort of innocence about it when I can at times, um, you know, I mentioned the thrill of writing a good story. I think the the thrill comes from being excited for people to read it. Uh, but it also comes from just learning something different and it comes from, you know, if it's a really good story, I think there's there's uh, a little thrill too in maybe validating somebody's trust in me to to be able to share a story. I think takes a leap of faith from people, and and it's something I don't want to take for granted. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know, and I'm I'm kind of a you know a geek a little bit too. I love to deep dive on research and and check uh, into trends and stats and uh, you know historical numbers and things like that so sometimes man it's 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 i'm alice in wonderland in a rabbit hole and a couple hours will have gone by and i've got an excel uh you know excel spreadsheet out there and and maybe i've uncovered a little nugget or something that'll show up in a story too but um you know it it is it's great i I don't i think 90 percent of the time it does not feel like work where i want to go down and uh you know get to work and, and do whatever i'm doing on a given day I think, um, you know, again, meeting some of the different people, the student athletes that we run into, the stories that they have, the coaches that we get to build professional relationships with is pretty neat as well. And then, like I mentioned, just traveling around the Big Ten and hopefully someday going to a bowl game. Still the only bowl I've covered since I've been back here has been the Peach Bowl that Nebraska was not involved in, that Scott Frost coached with UCF in 2017. So hoping that uh, turns around here a little bit sooner than later as well. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I don't want to take it for granted. And uh, you just never know what what the day-to-day is going to bring. There's not a ton of continuity, um, which for me is is refreshing and energizing and life-giving. So um, we'll see where it goes. But but, uh, yeah, loving it so far. And and again, for, for the most part, 
it's a daily adventure that uh, you never know where it's going to go. All right. I'll take the prerogative of having a follow-up to the final question. Okay. And that is, and this is yeah. for maybe for my students as much as anything, especially those who are raised in Nebraska, you're a Nebraskan. You went to school here. Uh, when did you stop being a fan? I can tell you exactly when I stopped being a fan. I stopped being a fan uh, when I started covering the team later in college. Um, when I came to Nebraska, the first two years I was here, freshman, sophomore year, uh, I bought student tickets and sat in the student section and put my uh, shoe in the air on kickoffs and and did all the, the stuff that you do. And um, when I started covering the team, though, I, I do. I, I remember very distinctly this mindset shift from wow, these guys are larger than life and wow, the Huskers. And it really became more of, this is a group of people. These are <laughs> college aged kids, just like me, like I was at the time. These are people with uh, abilities and flaws and ambitions and, and all sorts of different things. So you've got the brand, but beyond that, it's just a collection of, of people. And like the way that you cover Nebraska in some ways is not different from the way you would cover a high school team or the way you would cover, um, you know, whatever else it's, it's people. And, and so I think that's, that, that was where it went for me from, and I get this a lot. It's like, people say, do you want them to do well? Do you root for Nebraska? And I say, you know, it's, it's, it's fun when they win because there's a lot of excitement and people are more forthcoming to talk. Uh, but I think for me, it's, it's more about just an intrigue, there's always there's a constant intrigue, whether they're winning, whether they're losing. Why are they doing that? Who are the players behind the scenes? You know, what goes into that? How did it get to this point? What's coming up next? Like whatever's going on, there's always something that's fascinating about it to me. And so that's that's, I think, uh, later in college and beyond is where, again, I went from and I hope they win. And if they don't, my day and my weekend's going to be ruined to that was really interesting. Why did that happen? You know, let's keep going down that road. Well, that is a very good way to end the conversation. And uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, congratulations. Thanks for having me, John. You're welcome. Evan Bland, sports writer for the Omaha World Herald, covers the football team and the baseball team and is the 2022 Nebraska Sports Writer of the Year, an honor he shares with his fellow World Herald reporter, Stu Pospisil. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. <laughs>